Welcome to the IFTA podcast. This is Wieland Alt, President of the International Federation of Technical Analysts. Our goal is to encourage the highest standards of professional ethics and competence among technical analysts worldwide. To learn more about us, visit ifta.org. Thank you for attending Fanthorpe Institute's free webinar. Today's special guest, Ron William, has joined us. In preparation for Van's participation in the coming IFTA conference, Ron will interview Van on an important and timely topic, systems thinking and trading, the holy grail for surviving during a pandemic. Enjoy the webinar, everyone. Harry, greetings all, and, and a big thank you, uh, Van, for in, inviting me here for, for a discussion ahead of the IFTA conference. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Excited about our discussion. Uh, it builds on, just as a preamble to, to those of you who are attending, uh, from a few exchanges that we've had in the past on behalf of IFTA, uh, where we had a, originally a print interview some years ago, um, and then a live in-person interview back when it used to be easy to do uh, on behalf of the British Society of Technical Analysis. So great to have you back uh, now on this uh, live discussion, but also ahead of the uh, Global IFTA conference, our first online one, uh, which is just two weeks away. Yep, two weeks. And so, I didn't tell this morning exactly what I was gonna talk about, but I do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, exactly. I mean, certainly one of the key uh, focus points is, is what you'll be talking about in that conference, um, Van. And I mean, we, we had a brief catch up uh, to actually kind of share some talking points. And in my mind, it, it's, 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 a, it's built on your work on systems thinking, and in particular, how to develop a holy grail during these pandemic and, and strange VUCA times. Please share the rest, Van, in terms of what, what key, key things people can look forward to. Well, I think there's three things we need to talk about this morning. The, the first one is that the trading is a process where a buyer and seller gets together and agrees on a price. And that's all it is, it's a process. Uh, but through the way we use language, we turn it into a noun, make it like a thing, give it all sorts of characteristics, form all sorts of beliefs about it. And uh, many of those beliefs aren't useful. And, you know, we kind of make a mess of it. And, you know, for example, um, you know, if, if, if it's just the, the process of a buyer and seller are getting together and agreeing on a price, then you have to represent the market in some way as soon as you turn it into a noun. So probably the best way to represent it is maybe a tick chart with a bunch of dots indicating you know, time and the price. But if you saw a tick chart, it would probably be totally meaningless to you human beings don't like things that are totally meaningless. So you'd probably want to change it in some way. 
what people usually do is they take whatever it is they, you know, so you take a tick chart, for example, and once you have a tick chart, you'd, um, you probably divide it up into some time segments. You know, a logical one would be one day, if the trading hour, if the trading day begins at a certain time and ends at a certain time. That has some logic to it, but we would typically, we might say, oh, well, divide it into 100, 100 uh, ticks might be one unit, or we might say 10 minutes or an hour. You know, and if you looked at the thick charts, they'd be all over the place. So then we might say something like, well, I'm going to give special meaning to some of them. You know, I'll give special meaning to the highest one and the lowest one and the first one and the last one. Now, there's no logical reason. Maybe high and low make a little bit of sense, but certainly the first and last, when you're arbitrarily picking when the beginning is and when the end is don't make any sense. But when you have the first and last and the high and low, then you can turn it into a candlestick and go, oh, this looks like this, or the wick is, you know, the wick is green or red because it's going up or down and, and suddenly it has a lot more meaning, but maybe it doesn't have any meaning to you. So you get patterns of them make the patterns have some meaning and then you have and then maybe that doesn't do enough so you draw some lines and develop some indicators out of that and you're so you're starting out with a representation that doesn't mean anything and then you keep going and you turn it into something more uh, and add different levels to it and all you have really is a, a lot of made up stuff so that kind of gets me to the point that you, that where I've been saying for many, many years, that you can only trade your beliefs. You can only trade your beliefs about the market and um, what you need to, so you better have useful beliefs. You know, useful belief means it works for you and a lot of, and anybody else in a similar situation. And, uh, you know, it makes you money. That's your definition of useful. And, and, and just to recap on what, what you're saying in, in, in trading and technical analysis terms, a big focus of, of IFTA in terms of its educational mission. I mean, a, a lot of what you described is the kind of uh, learning curve of, of how to trade a chart and, and, and the whole market psychology of uh, uh, the financial system. What, what you're doing is making up a lot of stuff to represent something that doesn't exist. Yes. And, and you make, you're making those things up as measurements to, to basically focus on your beliefs. And then yes. get into a really key area, which is, does that measurement even reflect your belief? I think I've given a couple examples before. One being, well, you know, suppose I just say, well, I'm going to buy if it's a bull market, and I'm going to sell if it's a bear market. Right. And I'm hold in between. So first time I see a bull market, I'll buy. Second time I'll sell. Then I have the SQN 100, which is my indicator of a bull market. 
And so when the market first hits bull or I'll buy, and then when it hits bear, I'll sell. And hopefully my bear is way above the bull. That's a simple system. But I've seen two examples, you know, so my definition of a bull, and it's based on dividing the number of bulls and bears into reasonable uh, quadrants and things that make meaningful sense for market planning, the, uh, for the market type. And uh, so I need an SQN 100 based on the percent change of price every day that's over 0.7. But I've seen an example uh, early this year, I think it was probably early this year, when, when the market type was sideways. So it was meaning it was, the SQN 100 was positive, but it was less than 0.7. And the markets made all these all time new highs. You know, which is a bear mark, bull market, market making all time highs or SQN greater than 0.7. Well, I kind of believe my market making all time highs is a better indicator. You know, then I'm looking for example, when I wanted to buy Bitcoin and my idea is I'll buy when Bitcoin makes a bear market. But then I see the setup. I mean, that happened in early 2019. It's absolutely beautiful. They were, we'd hit a low of something like 3,000, 3,500 on Bitcoin. It was, you know, clearly a bottom. So it's an area where you say if it went below that, maybe there's some risk involved. And the market had been flat to slightly up for two months. You know, that's one of the best setups I've ever seen. But, you know, my market type might have even been bearish at the time. Uh, but you know, I could not not trade that because of, to me that was a perfect kind of indicator that uh, you know the market was was taking off and uh, and something was happening. But my measurement that I picked initially to trade it didn't reflect that. And I think by the time you get to you know, you have a candlestick and then maybe you have a moving average of the closing price and then you don't like that. And then you do, you know, maybe ADX and MACD and a whole bunch of other things with that. You've made up so many things and formed some beliefs about them and you better have beliefs that are useful that, uh, that you know, that work for you. And, and just to clarify, I mean, one of the, the key insights that I've learned from you in, in, in these past years has been this, this mantra or this saying that people don't trade them, the markets, they trade their beliefs. Could, could you re-clarify what that means, especially in, in this very strange and uncertain year of 2020? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll just, I'll, refer, I'll repeat what I said. The markets don't exist. There is no such thing as a noun, meaning the markets. It's a process but we turn it into a noun, give it all sorts of characteristics, represent it by different things. And then we can, and then if, if that's what we trade, we're trading our beliefs about what all that means. So when, 
you guys do a technical analyst conference and you supposedly learn how to trade, what you're doing is making up a lot of charts and things and then maybe forming some beliefs about them. And you better be ho you better hope that your beliefs you formed are useful. Great. And, and on that point, uh, uh, as a follow up, this, this idea of building systems, systems and system thinking that can adapt to changing markets and, and changing psychology. Could, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, let's, so this is the second topic is systems thinking. If, if you look at, you know, I think knowledge used to come into, if you look at models for knowledge, there are way back when for, for maybe 2000 years, there was sort of an authoritative model of knowledge that basically said the king was right, the church was right, the scriptures are right, and maybe the early Greeks that agreed with the church and the scriptures were right, and you better not say anything else that's different, and all the power goes to the pope and the kings and whatever. The scientists come in, the scientific method kind of came in and changed that, but the scientific method is based on reductionism, getting things to smaller and smaller levels, analyzing all the parts to figure out what the whole is, and that sort of thing. And when quantum physics came in and relativity came in, then basically some of that started not to work anymore, but of course the model still works, and scientists want to reduce things down to the basic component and do that sort of thing. But the, if you want to really understand things, you've got to get into, you've got to assume there's not one linear cause, something that happened in the past that produces it. You have to assume multiple, multiple causations and multiple things going on simultaneously. So I always had this kind of thinking, but not to the extent I have now. So for a long time, I've said, you know, you need, first of all, you need to understand yourself and you need to understand the market and you need to have a system that fits you. Okay, so there's those two things, self, market, or self and system to trade the markets. Then the system that trades the markets is not what gives you your objectives. It's a position sizing algorithm that's laid over that. So now you have to have another system, which is the position sizing system to meet your objectives. Then you need, and then we've been talking about this for seven or eight years probably, uh, that you need to have, you need to know the market type as well. So your system, the kind of system that would fit a bull market is not necessarily one that's going to fit a bear market and certainly not one that's going to fit a sideways market. So you need a system that's designed for the market type as well. So, you know, at that point, you've got you, you've got the trading system, you've got the position sizing algorithm, you've got whatever the market's going to do. So you've got at least, you've got all those things, but then, you know, if you want to make sense of it more, you've got to think about your base currency. You know, what if you uh, live in South America and you're subject to one of those currencies that gets 30% inflation a year? Uh, and your, your whole wealth is tied up in that? Well, you might do well in the stock market and lose money relative to the rest of the world simply because you can't keep up with the 
philosophy. So you gotta you gotta work on your currency, and that becomes very valid in today's setting when when basically everyone um, you know everyone is uh, everybody's currency is basically being devalued, and you could see over time that almost no currency has kept up with gold. Uh, most of them over 50 to 100 years become almost zero. They still have some value, but they're almost zero compared to what they, they've lost 90% or 95% of the value compared to what they were. So you've got that. And then, it, you know, as I begin to think about more and more, there's more and more ideas that come into play. So we got a pandemic going on. You got laws and regulations. You've got how big money trades. So you know you've got the commercials, so you've got the market makers, and you've got the large speculators. And you know how how are they how are they trading, which might be a lot different than yours. And they might they're probably taking the other side of the trade. So you've got to have a set of beliefs that work within the context that everything else works, and that's where system thinking comes into play. And, and to build on that, I mean, we've, we've discussed this previous in terms of just how important is the self. So people often kind of speak in terms of an 80-20 split between psychology and the logical thinking process, or, or maybe the system in this case in point. Van, what would you, what would you suggest, what would you propose as, as the percentage weighting for the self in the system thinking? it's if you really get what i'm saying it's you know it's all coming out of your head it's a bunch of beliefs it's coming out of your head if you model anything you have to know what the tasks are that people do to do something well and then you've got three ingredients for each step beliefs mental strategies and mental states that's all coming out of your head so i can't you know, I used to think it was 70% uh, or 60% psychology, 30% position sizing, and 10% system. Well, now it's 100% psychology for all of those reasons. So, you know, we've, we've got a pandemic going on. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you want to trade well, you you're going to have to have yourself under control, which means you you need useful beliefs to fit the situation. You need to know how to adapt, and you know. And when you think of yourself as a system, you've got to think of yourself as the emotions floating around inside of you. You've got to think of the all the beliefs about yourself. Uh, a useful model is to think that you're composed of parts that each part has its own beliefs and uh, uh, charges. So, you know, you might have one part that's like the conservative trader and doesn't want to lose money and has its sort of beliefs. And another part that wants excitement, and it has its own beliefs in the way it wants to approach the market. And they're going to be totally different in clashing. So you've got to make sure those parts are all working together. So it's, it's a combination of all those kinds of things. And, and interesting to see what's, what's been happening, um, well, in the last few months where we, as you just mentioned, we had US equity markets at record highs. 
and a real sense of a rational exuberance, at least you know, shown by the options market with, with, with a record amount of leveraging and, and all the rest of it. How much, how much noise can that create for the average professional trader? Well, you have to think what's happening is, I mean, I don't know as much about what's going on in, uh, in other countries uh, as opposed to the States, but in the States we're basically, normally we have a deficit and have to inject about a trillion dollars worth of new money into the system every year. So far this year, it's been a neighborhood of four or five trillion. So our debt's four to five trillion. I think they say that the Federal Reserve now owns about 30% of the mortgages in the United States, or maybe it's 40, something like that. So all this money is going into the system, but the, the banks basically aren't lending money. So it has to go someplace. So it's going in, a, what a, what's happening is it's going into, you know, basically certain equities and those equities tend to be the largest cap stocks that are in the Dow and in the NASDAQ 100. Okay. So it's like 30, maybe 50 stocks are driving the whole thing and everything else is in bad shape. But, you know, if you own Amazon or you own Apple or you own Google or you own Zoom, like, like we're on, or you own uh, Shopify or things of that nature, then, then you're doing quite well. Uh, but because that's where all the money's flowing to. But it's flowing to, first of all, the people who own majority shares. So Jeff Bezos in 2009, at the end of 2019 was the richest man in the world with 118 billion worth of net worth. By August this year, he was worth 200 billion. I mean, I, I've never seen a I've never seen a period when somebody's net worth went up by like seventy billion in in just a few months. You know, but it took six months for him to do it. Elon Musk got up there in the in the high net worth area, and and yet at the same time, you know, small businesses are hanging on. Probably can't last through the end of the year online or anything but online retail is really suffering. Restaurants are suffering, tourists are suffering, all kinds, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can make money on the short side of this market from things that are not gonna last. And this goes down to, I mean, the, the, the letters of the alphabet where people start extrapolating whatever their view is and their belief, <laughs> uh, just, just to borrow the, the word you used, um, of the market recovery. And so the V-shaped recovery is the linear move that most people are looking at, based by, uh, backed by the central bank uh, support. But a new letter on the block van is the K-shaped recovery, where you have, you know, leading U.S. Uh, tech stocks on on the upside. But then, of course, you have uh, kind of let's say COVID-19 hit hard sectors like travel, like tourism, um, on the downside. So this disconnect between markets and real economy in this kind of K-shape move. How does that influence things like the SQN scores that you mentioned? Because you mentioned, for example, S&P 500 at record highs, but SQN measure at low readings. Well, that was, this was February. So 
February before okay. the workout, the uh, the bull market, the, the market was relatively flat over 200 days, hadn't gone up very much, but we were making new highs. So that was that. And, and that's just on the S&P. You know, and the S&P is still has a large weighting in things like Apple and Amazon and Google and those major stocks because it's cap weighted. And the Nasdaq's even worse. NASDAQ 100, you know, I think 10 stocks are about 50% of its value. So uh, the, the index could go up while most stocks could be going down. So, I mean, you've got to think of, I, I design, we started a trading contest and I don't want to talk about the details of the trading contest right now because we're doing another webinar for the people who were in trading genius too. But I wanted everybody to master the beyond the matrix thinking format. So I said, okay, we're gonna eliminate the, some of the biggest factors in trading, which are, you know, position sizing and the number of trades you get. You, you get five, you get five trades and you get a total of 50,000, no leverage unless you buy a leverage ETF or something like that. And, and you got to have five trades and we put out a prize if you, you know, if you make money and you beat the S&P 500, you get some prize. And if you're in the top five, uh, you get bigger prizes. And if you beat, uh, if you beat me, for example, you get an even, you know, to, to win a really big prize, you supposedly have to beat me. And we started this theoretically March. And I couldn't get anybody to submit entries in March. You know, I gave them to March 8th. And then I said, well, I'm not going to start this contest until we have over 20 entries. Well, I got over 20 entries, maybe 24 or so. And we started the contest on April 27th. But about half of those entries, you know, didn't really have an opening position in the market. And if they got one, they never told me about it. So that probably meant about 10 people played the game. And out of those, five, maybe five or six that have so far outperformed the S&P 500. Simple task, but five have about outperformed the S&P 500. And, and all but four of those were invested in cryptos. The other was leveraged gold and leveraged silver and leveraged oil. So it's... And, and uh, it's a fun, so you got to figure out, but if you look at a systems approach, you're going, you know, these things are, the currencies are, could be destroyed. These things uh, are potentially, Bitcoin's having a halving coming up where the mining costs are going to go way up compared to the price of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin usually takes off for the first year or two after the halving. It, it was, to me, that was like a no-brainer. I wouldn't have even invested in gold because the gold was, uh, at the time, I wasn't sure that uh, Bitcoin hadn't taken the place of gold as a, as a hedge, but apparently it hasn't. But. I, mean, I mean, what you're saying circles back to the point about the downtrend in fiat currencies kind of underperforming real assets gold in particular, but more specifically, the Bitcoin complex. And I know this has been a, a, a big point on your radar, Van. I mean, both for kind of market 
trading performance point of view, but just also just as, as a long-term play. What more could you say about the competition so far and, and the potential Bitcoin outperformance going, going forward? Well, we've staked a lot on it because uh, uh, I allowed uh, people to join the SuperTrader program this year uh, on the base, and I said we wouldn't spend their we would I mean the money's ours, but we wouldn't spend it. We'd invest it in GBTC, and uh, when their next payment would do, we'd give them whatever the profits were minus our costs. Like so, if it's if we have to pay twenty one percent tax, which is the current rate. Uh, they get 79% of the profit. If, if it goes up to 28%, which is what Biden wants, they get less of it, but they, they get that percentage of the profits, even though the money is theoretically was to pay for their program up front. And they could invest between 10 and 25,000, and we would uh, take up to $750,000 in that, in that stake. And I was willing to do that simply because the uh, cost to manufacture Bitcoin is uh, about $12,500, which is less, a little bit less than the current price right now. And I expect Bitcoin to take off and become very much more institutionalized. Uh, and I guaranteed the downside, which meant they'd still have the seven, if they've invested 10, they'd still have the 10. But uh, uh, you know, if it went down, I wouldn't say they didn't have they had less money. They just wouldn't have any more contributed to their next payment. And of course, I have to, I'm allowed to do anything I need to protect myself. But you know, it's you know a huge position size where suddenly most of our cash is sitting in GBTC for our company. And, and, and perhaps on that uh, last point, position sizing, a term that I believe you coined way back when, um, and this idea of risk management, Van, I mean, how important is position sizing and risk management, particularly in a volatile environment? Well, it, it determines whether you meet your objectives. So the way I say it is the trading system. So the trading system is your setups, your filters, your entry, your worst case loss, your profit taking exit, maybe a re-entry, that's which determines, uh, you know, you get a bunch of R multiples that come out of that based on, on uh, whatever you set up as your initial risk, which is one R. Uh, but no matter how good the trading system is, uh, you could blow yourself up with four position sizing. So you gotta have our system that's right makes 10 R every time it's right, it's right 99% of the time, which would be an unbelievable system. And all you have to do is risk it all one time when you're wrong and you're gone. And uh, we're getting some questions coming in here, Van, I'm just checking the chat room. Um, as they continue to roll in, 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 in the remaining time that we have, uh, may, maybe a, an additional word on the psychology of things, particularly with uh, some of the stress um, and also overconfident 
extremes that people are experiencing. So those that did make, make money are maybe feeling a little bit of the greed uh, side of things. And those that maybe are under the stress of keeping those profits or, or, or protecting their positions, stress, stress, stress. What can you say about how to optimize stress uh, based on all well, the years of work? Well, so let's look at it. So you need a set of rules and the set of rules, uh, you know, guide your trading. And uh, the mistake is called not following your rules. So we'll put it that way. Now the rules will be of the system will apply under certain contexts. When the context changes, you might either need to, if it's market type, you probably need to change your rules. If there's something else going on, you may, you may need to change something about the rules to change the context. If you understand that, you should be pretty, in pretty good shape. But most people don't understand that, so they get all bent out of shape. And the key is, you know, resolve, resolve the conflict between the conservative person and the, and the one who's got a big ego and says, I've made all this money. Resolve the contract between the perfectionist and the trader. The trader just wants to trade a system and the perfectionist who never wants to lose money or wants the system to be perfect or wants the system to work in every market type. So it's, it's a, uh, if, you, if you've got a lot of charged emotions, get rid of the charged emotions. Uh, get rid of, I mean, I would guess that 90, probably, uh, you know, if, if you look at the average, 99% of the people who are trading probably have 75% of their beliefs being non-useful beliefs. Wow. So if you start examining them, I mean, I think even as a kid, I used to, I used to wonder why it's, it always seemed to me that what most people believe never made any sense. So in the States, we get that right now. You get, you get drug company, half the commercials, and maybe a third of the commercials on TV have to do with drug companies. They come on, they tell you how this will solve your problem. In other words, it'll treat your symptoms. Then they spend at least half the commercial telling you all the negative things that are wrong with the drug that if you take it, you might get this and check with your doctor to make sure you don't have this and whatever. And nobody seems to question that. It's like, you know, it's a model where the pharmaceutical companies get everything. Uh, they, they just give drugs to treat symptoms. Usually if you treat the symptom, you get worse because you're not fixing the original cause, which is the body's out of balance in some way. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, and most people can't see this. They still follow the same system. So we're having arguments about who's going to pay for health care, whether it's universal health care for everybody or whether it's just whatever. But nobody's arguing about whether the health care is any good. So everybody wants us to take flu vaccines. Every flu vaccine has aluminum in it. And heavy metals are not good for the body. And, you know, I'm, and I don't take flu vaccines because I've had enough heavy metals in me. And, and just to kind of build on that in, in the trading uh, metaphor, 
a lot of automated traders, uh, Van, would say, well, hey, we've got this kind of algorithmic automated system which deals with human psychology, it removes the emotions. What would you say about alleviating um, trading through, through automated trading? Automated trading is probably pretty good, especially if it's short term. So the short term, you know, something like Renaissance Capital, which has like 200 PhDs and they're doing all these automated trading systems based on fair value and thing in their day trading systems, then I make 50% a year. Uh, that's, that's a really good model for how to do it. But, uh, you know, having, having a system that doesn't adjust to that's longer term, that doesn't adjust to conditions, that doesn't adjust to changes in context. So you could have, you know, as an example, let me give you an example. One of my earliest clients was a guy um, who at one, before there was, before you could trade, you know, where there was any way to trade the pound versus the, versus the dollar, he figured out that you could buy sugar in London in the pound and you could buy sugar in New York for a dollar. So he would be playing the dollar pound and if you wanted to trade sugar, he, you'd have to un, he'd have to unload one of his spreads. It was that big a position. Well, obviously somebody figured out what he was doing and they changed the rules so it no longer worked. And then, uh, you know, it no longer worked. And that happens all the time. Big, big money will change how it works. Things, the whole system will change. People will become more sophisticated and the beliefs that worked uh, a while back won't work anymore. And this is part of your, your uh, systems thinking framework. I'm looking at the list here. And um, I mean, the, the top four self market type trading system position sizing, but the, the, the additional four factors, base currency, how big money trades, what you just mentioned just now, and then maybe more situational things like the pandemic and, and so on. Um, we just received a question, Van, from Richard. Um, asking the question on psychology. When you say trading is 100% psychological, what are you describing? Um, are you talking about performance or is it one's trading experience or one system components? Just to clarify, can I win Wimbledon just with 100% positive attitude? <laughs> yes. All right. This is something I don't want to cover in the technical conference, but my belief is, and it comes from uh, a strong belief in, in the basic tenets of, of the major religions of the world. So Hinduism, Buddhism, the Course, the course of Miracles form of Christianity. There are some aspects of Sufism, the Muslim world that fit in here. And they basically say, everything's an illusion. And it has to be because the mind, uh, you know, there's no such, the mind is stuck with, the mind is a bunch of brain circuits, you know, and, and it's only our language, our language separates things into, you know, subject, object, verb, uh, but that doesn't exist out there in the world. Our minds, uh, you know, take an image that's like, 
you know, this big. So you have an image in your retina that's like this big, it's upside down. The detail is like two millimeters across the, the middle of it. And it feed, that image from both retinas is fed to 30 different areas of the brain. And the net result is you see this 3D picture that is uh, that seems to be in full color and in very good detail, even in the periphery, even though the, only the central part, the cones in the central part of the retina, see the detail. Everything looks like it's there. So it, it absolutely has to be all made up. So I think maybe the uh, stage of consciousness that, that just begins to be, get to the point where you're really starting to put a change in the world is where you realize it's all made up. And the best thing you can do is uh, become a systems thinker with useful beliefs and understand that there are multiple factors that impinge on something. And, and, and maybe if we, if we can kind of add maybe the polar opposite of positive attitudes, as Richard mentioned, he's keen to win the Wimbledon uh, tennis match. But the point I was going to mention is on fear. It seems to be a pain point for people that do express stra experience stress, particularly in a post-pandemic lockdown situation, trading from their homes. How do people, what is fear and how do we deal with it from a consciousness level? Well, first of all, fear is a bunch of vibrations of certain neurons in the, in the body. Uh, and you can imagine, so some people go to horror movies and they seem to enjoy the feeling they have when they're in horror movies because they go and they pay money to see it. Some people ride roller coasters and, and like that sort of fear. And it's just sometimes when they have a feeling that's attached in a different context, they'll interpret the feeling as negative as something that they shouldn't feel. And then they don't want to feel it and they resist it. So they end up storing it in their body. And the net result is that uh, as a result of these, you know, stored feelings, you basically lock and charge, you lock through charge a lot of non-useful beliefs in place. And you have to get rid of both the fear and the non-useful beliefs. And then you can realize it's all made up that the what is, so some presuppositions I have would be Consciousness is the basis for everything in the world. Uh, most scientists would disagree with that. That would be horrible thought to them. Uh, you cannot put something like consciousness in the middle of stuff. Uh, and, and that, you know, it's basically all made up. That if you realize that, that the what is is perfect, it's the universe just playing itself out, but uh, it goes to the fact that the higher you evolve in consciousness, you basically have to eliminate the self factor where you don't exist and it's just your higher self operating in it. But while you exist, or you seem to exist and say there's a me, then what you're basically doing is, um, uh, Play is operating uh, based on your map of the world, and you can do that. It might, but it might as well be a useful map, and not one that most people 
say this is the way the world is and you should believe this. Uh, we just also um, got a follow-up question on, on fear, but specifically um, on losing trades. So the fear of losing a few trades in a row. This is from Lydia. Um, and she wants to ask, Van, in your, in your experience, how do traders trade confidently after a losing streak? Well, you first have to realize that's part of the game. So when you get a system, you should have at least an idea of what the R multiples are and the distribution of R multiples. I mean, even if, even if you just have a percentage of winners, so you, you know the system maybe is right, but you have a really good system that's right 60% of the time. It's still possible if you have a big enough simulation to get 10 to 20 losers in a row. If you have a system that's right 30% of the time, which is more like a trend following system, then it's pretty easy to get uh, 20, 30 losses in a row. So you've got to realize that this is something to be expected it doesn't mean your system is broken. And it's why most people can't follow trend following systems because they're not right very often and they have to put up with a few losses. We, I mean, we do our simulation games and the simulation games, you're never right more than, you know, maybe 30, 40% of the time. But if you've got uh, big R winners and small R losers, then you're in pretty good shape. So Way back when the idea is not that, oh, I've had three losses in a row. It's terrible. First of all, through position sizing, those should be small enough that they don't affect you. You know, a golden rule of trading is always live to be able to trade tomorrow. And uh, if you've got that golden rule ahead of you, then, uh, then you should be okay. And you have some idea what the performance is of your system. Go, well, this is what I lost. But one of these days, I'm going to get a big winner, and that's fine. Jolanda's also asking here a follow-up question. Do you have a simple method of getting rid of charge? Sure, it's a feeling release that we have. So feeling release that's described in Trading Beyond the Matrix, described in the Peak Performance course. We just covered it in Peak 101, uh, and it amounts to you have to be, you know, there's lots of methods of feeling release, but uh, uh, you have to be willing to let that feeling go. Um, and then uh, more of a philosophical question up to you, Van, how you want to uh, sh share your insights on this. Uh, from Stephen Rink, is it true there's no word for I in Sanskrit? I've often heard Van mention interesting stuff like this in, in past it sessions. does not have an I sense. So you say the word like namaste, you're basically saying the God in me greets the God in you, but it's, there is no I sense in Sanskrit. Sanskrit's a different language than anything else because the uh, ancient rishis went in and meditated and they discovered there were basically, I think it was, I can't remember, it's 50 or 51 key sounds that ran the universe. And they became the letters of the Sanskrit alphabet. And then there were certain sounds that put together uh, became 
you know, incredibly powerful mantras. They're typically the bij mantras. Uh, and a lot of uh, the essence of Sanskrit, like in the Vedas, is not is not uh, the meanings of the words. It's the effect, the vibration of the sounds, and the effect it has on you. So, you know, we we like to take Sanskrit and give it a meaning, and then and then translate it into English. And by that time, you've you're never going to know the key to the what's really important, which is the the nature of the vibration and how it affects you. Because that's it's all vibration. It's all energy. In in, in Western linguistics, the, psychologically, the two words "I am" have, have been deemed so 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 important. Uh, what would you say about the "I am" statements and this idea of maybe victim thinking? Well. Korzybski says that uh, I am is probably the biggest misinterpretation you can have of the world. It's the, the, uh, so any belief that you have that says I am X, uh, which is what we call identity level beliefs. I mean, most people find that maybe 40% of their I am type beliefs or identity beliefs are useful, but those identity beliefs uh, will always make you something that you're not. You are a process, you're not a thing. Just like the market's a process, you are a process, you're not a thing. And as soon as you decide you're a thing, you give yourself all sorts of qualities, you limit yourself. Um, and Matthew's kind of building on this idea of consciousness. Uh, what type of consciousness uh, would a hundred would, would uh, could get a hundred percent accuracy if at all, um, or even his follow up question: What type of technical systems could be imagined uh, from advanced consciousness? Maybe that's an, a better framing of the question. Well, I have one of my clients from nineteen. Uh, I think it was around nineteen ninety seven. I did one on one work with him, and I connected him to his inner guidance. And then his inner guidance took over and just ran his life from then on. And, you know, he was a professor of engineering, so not exactly the kind of person you'd think would take to that sort of thing. But his inner guidance taught him how to trade. And um, the system that he used is one that I call one of Van's favorite systems. One of my super traders is now uh, adopted it as going to be one of his systems and perhaps we might uh, if he can find some of the rules that I didn't figure out from uh, when he told me how he traded there were a few things I don't know but uh, he managed to turn in 11 years I think he made uh, uh, turn you know a, probably an average size pension into uh, what might be the equivalent of a fairly small hedge fund. So I think about, he made about, probably made 50 times his money in 11 years. Wow. And there are many stories that you share, Van, in, in, in your book, uh, Trading Beyond the Matrix. Is that part of the competition that you recently launched this year in terms of looking for new champion well, traders? Yeah. A new book, if I ever get around to writing it, which is, uh, 
basically uh, it's about system thinking, but it's going to be related to the Holy Grail because I think understanding that you only trade your beliefs, that the markets are made up, and that uh, there are multiple causes to your trading and understanding system thinking. If you really get that, you've got the Holy Grail. And you have useful beliefs, and you have lots of useful beliefs that you can rely on in a number of different contexts. Uh, and then uh, the momentum is building up here in the last few minutes, uh, Van. You'll be happy to know. Uh, Parekh uh, Lali's asking um, ultimately, is there such thing as a useful belief? Um, for example, uh, and in beliefs that do not separate us, they unite us. Well, on a spiritual level, I consider, so, uh, if you, uh, so we'll go to spiritual level beliefs. These are beliefs about you versus the universe. So let's say you said, as a spiritual belief, I'm a God-fearing person. Well, you know, for some people to say that might mean they respect God, but I would take it literally that there's a God-fearing area, but that certainly is a belief that produces separation between yourself and uh, the consciousness that runs the universe. And the consciousness that runs the universe is everywhere, including in you. So it's not a useful belief. So on the spiritual level, useful beliefs are one that are one that lead to oneness as opposed to uh, division and uh, separation. I think I, did I answer this question? I'm waiting to hear for some feedback. I, I believe so, he's, he's coming back here, but it, it's certainly in terms of, I've, I've heard you mention uh, Van in previous uh, uh, presentations where you talk about uh, a consciousness pyramid um, and, and the more advanced we get in that uh, state of mind, uh, the, the better decisions we can make in life and, and markets. Well, there's, a, there's two models of consciousness that I like to look at. One is David Hawkins. David Hawkins says it's a log, there's a log scale that goes from zero to a thousand and uh, that the dividing line between positive, constructive and destructive is at 200, which comes in at courage. Things like fear and greed are come in in the way below 200. And things like acceptance is 350, which I used to consider and probably still do if I use that model as the area where you need to be at minimum to place the subsidy. But I think there's a better model of consciousness, which basically says there's four quadrants that you could be in. You could be total victim, where, where you the belief is stuff happens to me. I'm a victim of the world. You could be a total, uh, you could say, you know, I'm in control. So things happen because I'm in control. So this is the, like the personal power kind of thing that Tony Robbins uh, teaches. At the highest level of that is where I call probably the dividing line between uh, positive and negative. So here we get a separation between 
the part of you uh, between uh, where where you believe you you believe it's all made up, and at this point you believe that uh, uh, since it's all made up, you might as well just have useful beliefs. And a useful belief, based on my definition, means it's it's valuable in a wide context and to a number of people in that wide context. So that's kind of a, a definition of usefulness. So if you get to the point where you believe, okay, uh, I, most beliefs aren't useful, but if I can find beliefs that are fit me, that are valuable in a wide context, have multiple maps, which is kind of what systems thinking is all about, you know, then you can do pretty well. And then beyond after that, then it happens, the levels are things happen through me. So it goes through you and it's a, a function of surrendering and kind of listening to your internal guidance. And then, uh, which might, you know, if you don't like the traditional idea of a God in the sky who judges you, I don't mind, I don't believe in that either. I'm talking about a fundamental consciousness that runs the universe and that's in everything. Uh, and that, that uh, and there's also, uh, I think the Hinduism has, and Buddhism both have it said fairly well, the, um, as long as you think you're a self and have a self and become attached to all the things out there in the world, then uh, uh, you're going to have suffering. But when you believe, when you realize that you don't exist and you give up your attachments to the world, and this is what, what maybe Christianity would call sin. You know, so if you're attached to money or something like that, that and money is there, is, is, is really important to you and it's part of your life, then uh, you know, you're going to stay in this world. You're not going to be able to go to the place where where you can just surrender to the to your inner guidance or the highest level become your inner guidance and just disappear. And, and just in closing, Van, I've often heard you speak about transformation and how trading is a metaphor for transformation. Could you bring it back to both trading and transformation? What is the, the, your key message in that statement? Well, it, it, it relates more to our mission. So I'm not here to uh, make people a lot of money because, well, I mean, people, people used to say to me, if Banthorpe's so good and knows so much about trading, why doesn't he just trade and make money? Well, that's not what I'm all about. Uh, First of all, I have plenty of money and I don't need any more. But second of all, you know, if I if I if I, if if that's what was important to me, I'd have retired a long time ago. I'm 74. I don't need to be working. Uh, but what we're here to do is teach people to get to higher levels of consciousness. So first level of the super trader, first two levels of the super trader program especially Super Trader Awakening is about really changing people's level of consciousness. So 
they become basically happy with, for no reason. And, you know, so initially you're a doctor, you hate being the kind of work hours you have, you hate having to deal with pharmaceutical companies, lawsuits, all that sort of thing. So you go, oh, I want to get out of medicine. I want to be a trader. I want the freedom that comes from trading. And I want the success of trading. And then uh, we do help you with transformations. And suddenly you're a happy doctor. And you see being a doctor as part of your mission. And maybe it's not even important to trade anymore. And I'm really happy. Just as happy as I, I am with that as somebody who becomes a really good trader and makes millions. It's, it's a beautiful mission, uh, one that I support very much, uh, Van, and happy to have, have done some work with you and, and really excited about sharing your presentation with IFTA uh, just under two weeks from now on October the 24th. Thank you so much, Van, for giving up your time today to, to kind of exchange a few questions. Right, my pleasure, Ron. Uh, any last thoughts you'd like to share with everyone that's listening in? No, I think we've covered all I need to share today. Uh, you know, the, I'll have a more specific presentation at the conference that'll have slides and things, but we'll focus on those three issues. Great. So a lot of people now think... Uh, Mind you, we're, A, there is no market. It's all made up. And, you know, your measurements better reflect, they're only going to have better reflect at least your beliefs and your beliefs better be useful. That there's a system, a systems approach is the approach that's going to work because there's multiple factors that influence uh, the outcome of any given trade. And we've identified at least 15 different systems that, that come into play. And, and uh, you know, lastly, if you're gonna handle the, the volatility and all the stuff going around in a pandemic, you need to control the first system the most, which is you. We're getting last uh, uh, closing kind of feedback from everyone saying awesome closing message on transformation. Uh, and a big thank you for many people here who are, who attended our, our discussion. Right. All right. Thank we'll, you, Van. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Look forward to it. Happy trading. <laughs> and take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about IFTA and how to become a member of one of our member societies, or to find out more about our certification like the Certified Financial Technician, CFTE, and the Master of Financial Technical Analysis, MFTA, visit ifta.org.